Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. I have one of the greatest humans alive, a guy that has become just an amazing friend of mine. And he's also a returning guest. He's been on the show before. Um, But we decided to bring Elliot Schwartz back on the show and talk a little bit about the Airbnb market. Um, Elliot, as I said, has been a a longtime friend. We've been in masterminds together. Um, We've had many nights, dinners, um, old fashions in the pool, um, a lot of things, but it's (laughs) it's been super fun, man. And getting to know you has been great. But what's even more exciting is the fact that as I really started to get to know you, and you know, you were working a full-time job in the sales industry, crushing it, um, doing well at it. But I'm a big fan of real estate, and you started buying some Airbnbs. And the more we started talking about kind of a mutual idea that we had, we were actually at a probably a $40 million mansion in Park City at a couples event um, with six or seven couples. I don't remember the number. And and just like, how do we, how do we get on the right side of this equation and own some of these houses, right? And I think everybody that has ever stayed in a, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten bedroom mansion, and you have chefs come in and all the things in amazing destinations, you know, I think everybody probably is like, how do I own one of these? And it initially starts with the idea of like, there's no way that I mean, maybe there's a way someday, eventually, where you could buy a house like that and not turn it into a revenue generator. But you and I started kind of down this rabbit hole and you were so excited about it, which we'll get into. Um, And I just bolted onto that vision. I was like, there's a part of me that's always wanted to have ownership in something like that, ownership and usage. But I also knew that like, it's probably never going to be something that I would buy a $40 million house by myself in Park City. And so the more and more that you and I started talking, and I realized that you were in the Airbnb space, and you loved it, that's where you wanted to spend the rest of your life, maybe not life, but at least the next season. Um, I teamed up with you. Um, I'm I'm a partner, but you're you're the guy. Um, Let's talk about this a little bit. Tell me about your journey. Tell me about how you decided to leave all this, how you got into the space. And then obviously, we'll dig into it some more. I've always, dude, well, first of all, wow, what an intro and what a freaking honor to be here with you. One of my heroes, mentors, um, guy who, who as um, your confidence in me has pushed me to new levels and to new um, identities that I identify myself as, which is amazing. If you ever have been around Mike, he has that ability to breathe belief into people that um, is like none other. So just honored for us to start there. But my story, yeah, I was in, I was in um, sales for 15 years corporate sales. Um, I was my last stint, I was with a uh, medical device company. And I loved it. I had it dialed in. I had it. It was on easy street is on cruise street. And I was I just had my eye on real estate. And so me and my wife, we bought a, a cabin Airbnb and um, another one here in Scottsdale that we're currently morphing into the perfect Airbnb in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the sharing people, um, sharing the the experience of creating a space for people. And me and you have done a ton of masterminds, and that's how we actually met. And I love hotels. I, I stay in hotels when I work and when I'm solo. And I just went to a you know a trip in New York and stayed in a hotel. But when you stay in a house with family or a group of people, friends, there is no way you can leave that trip not being more connected in tune. You really know that person. You got to spend more time with that person. You see them when you wake up, you're having coffee, you're, you know, watching TV, you're having dinners together. You're all hanging out in the house. You are so much more connected in a house than you are staying with a group at a hotel. And you just can't convince me otherwise. And I think if you're really honest from a non-biased experience level for yourself, if you've stayed with a group in a hotel in a city versus a, a big Airbnb, there's no question you're more connected to that group at the house. And so I fell in love with that. And I fall, I fall in love with um, bringing people closer together and 
lifting up the world and spreading love and uh, bettering business uh, our houses and bettering neighborhoods by you know renovating houses and making houses cooler and bringing you know people in from other cities to come spend money at the you know at the restaurants and everything else so it's just i think it's a really cool dynamic and uh, that's that's my story that's how i fell in love with it it's interesting. Um, I want to digress for just a second because, you yeah. know, this is the Investing for Freedom podcast. And I think a lot of my audience, you know, some of them have achieved the freedom that you're, um, that we're all looking for and, and that you've kind of gone out on your own. Um, but I think a lot of times we get confused on, you know, what we're actually looking for because there's a lot of really successful people that think that they're looking for financial freedom when maybe they already have it. And what we're really looking for yeah, we want more financial freedom, but we really want the time freedom. And so I'm curious, just as a guy who left his job, um, you know, within the last year, I think, right? Yeah. What What has been some of the, because uh, again, the audience is sitting here and some of them have already left and been business owners for 20 years. But for the guys and girls out there that are listening that want to make the leap, what are some of the, you know, obviously the the pros, but also the cons? Like, what are some of the things that you've, let's get let's get real here. Ooh, what are some of the fears and the things that you've wrestled with and um, the conversations that you've had with your wife about, you know, leaving security? And let's talk about that. Okay, we can talk about that. So um, investing for freedom. One thing I will tell you, you have to invest in yourself. And you have to, especially when you leave and you have a lot more time on your hands, and you're structuring your own day and you're capping your own ship. There's a lot of self doubt and a lot of analysis paralysis that snuck in for me personally. And dude, I'm a confident guy and I feel like I have a great mindset and I have a great attitude. And I've always outworked everybody in sports and school and business and work and sales. And I was like, I got this. I am a lifetime like achiever. This is not, I'm, I'm not going to skip a beat. And I got humbled like immediately in the first three or four months. Like, what am I doing? Did I destroy my family? Like what's, you know, all these thoughts creeping into my head and I, the biggest thing I do is just talk about it. I came to you and you were like, hey, it's structure. You know, you, you gave me a ton of advice. I went to my wife. My wife's like incredible, runs her own business and has for, I don't know, 10 plus years. And so she was like on me too. Like, hey, let's, you know, let's set you up for success. And and um, just building out your calendar, I think is huge. And holding yourself accountable to the same structure you had in your prior life. Um and that's like, but that's cooler things, right? So like one, I'm working for myself so I can schedule in gym time when I want. I can schedule in call blocks. I can schedule in marketing. I can schedule in podcasts. I can schedule in all these things that light me up. But I still want to be productive and have a productive day because at the end of the day, that is for me, what brings me fulfillment is moving the needle, becoming a better version of myself, growing um, adding value to the world. If you look at the things that I think bring true fulfillment in someone's life, it's that. And so I want to build my day with that and hold myself accountable to be, to be just to becoming better. And I think if you make that transition, the quicker you can get into that space of actually internally wanting those things for yourself, not just saying it or writing it on paper, but feeling that you actually want to be the best damn person you can and be the best, like, executor of your daily tasks as you can and become better at sales and speaking and connecting and sharing your vision. If you actually can hold yourself accountable to being better at that, the transition will go by a lot easier, quicker, and you'll become a high level executing executive quickly. You know, I've often said that most people can't handle freedom. And it's such a, it's such a transition because, you know, there's probably if I had to narrow it down, there's one or two main reasons for this. But the reality is, when you transition from being an employee, to being someone who's self employed, it's a really challenging transition. Because when you're in a corporate environment, there's structure there, they tell you how to do things, they tell you when to do things, and maybe not so much in a sales role like you had. But generally speaking, there's structure there, there's expectation, there's competition. You know, you're competing against other salespeople. You're trying to beat your numbers from last quarter. All of these things that are created in a corporate structure, or even if it's not a corporate structure, in a business where you're reporting to someone else. But most people can't handle freedom because when you go out on your own, nobody's telling you what to do. Nobody's telling you how to do it. Nobody's telling you when to do it. 
And that's why most people can't handle freedom because it's a, it's a challenging thing. And we literally have to kill. We have to like, we have to like take a gun out and, and put it to that former version of ourselves. You have to like put it to your head and kill that employee. And it's really like a very hard transition. As much as people want that freedom, most people can't handle it because they really don't know how to hold themselves accountable. And here's another really interesting thing that I realized, and this is totally backwards, but most people, when it's about your money, your family, your time, as, as much as that is the most important thing in the world, you will take care of someone else's money and someone else's time and all of that. Most people will take care of that more and better than they do other people. And it's because there's a level of accountability where it's like, if you're, if you have somebody else's money and you've got things that you know you need to do today to go perform, you know, you're going to get your ass chewed when you have a meeting with that investor or business partner or whatever. And so there's a, there's some pressure there when it's your own and you have a day where, you know, maybe you want to go shoot with the boys or whatever. Like it's so much easier to just, you know, buck that freedom and say, Hey, I earned this. Like, I'm going to go do this instead of this. And so I've seen so many people that will take care of other people's money and other people's time and other people's expectations better and more than they do their own. And we have to shift that mindset and that way of thinking, because the reality is our money, our time, our family is why we're actually doing all of this. But most people can't handle freedom. And it's just this mindset shift. And that's why I said, you got to shoot that old guy in the head. And here's the thing. We might have to fabricate for the audience that's listening. If you're in that place where you're wanting to earn freedom or you have it and you're struggling with it, you might have to fabricate a sense of urgency because you no longer have a boss. And there's a scripture in the Old Testament where the children of Israel were wanting a king and God never designed us to have a king. And so, um, you know, Samuel was the prophet and he was like just upset with the children of Israel. He was like going to God and he's like, we're not supposed to have a king. And finally, God said to him, give them their king, because that's what they want. And the reality is, and so God gave them their king, they brought in King Saul. And that was the demise of the children of Israel during that time. And whether you believe that's a true story or not, um, I believe it is. But there's such a lesson to take away from that, because most people want a king in their life, even though they think they want freedom, the children of Israel already had freedom. And what were they asking for? Give us a king who will tell us what to do. And, and that's what the crazy thing is like, most people want to be a landlord. A landlord in the old days was just somebody who was put in charge by the king to own lands. And people want to be a landlord. They want to be a business owner. But the reality is we want somebody to tell us what to do on a daily basis. And that's why it's so hard to have uh, freedom in your life. And most people don't realize that. I want to add just a little bit to that too, as well. Not only are you motivating yourself, but no one is praising you. No one is saying, Mike, great job, man. You hit that number. Freaking way to go. You know, here's a certificate. Here's a raise. You know, you are crushing it. Hey, here's an email to the team. Mike, I all another one, another rock star here. Just crushing it. Check him out. He is dominating his goals. And I think a lot of people are driven for that attaboy and pat on the back. And so if you're not, if you're real, and you have to, that's like a self-realization. That's you have to really know, hey, am I really wired? by getting accolades from other people. Because when you're on your own, that pretty much goes away. So um, your accolades like, hey, you need to pat yourself on the back and be proud of the things that you accomplished during that day. And you can write yourself an email and text the team of you. But uh, it's a whole different feel when you're out um, working for yourself. And the um, not only holding yourself accountable, but the accolades and the attaboys are, are for yours to yourself as well. That's such an interesting point. And you know, there's a lot of visionary entrepreneurs that don't necessarily need that accolade. But here's the counter to that, too. We have to be really cautious. Um, and even if we needed it when we started, um, and then you get to a point five years down the road where you've had that realization that you had, where nobody's celebrating my wins. We have to be really careful as entrepreneurs, too. And I only know this through experience. I'm speaking to myself. I can't tell you how many times my team has said to me, Mike, like you never celebrate. Like we feel like you don't stop to like celebrate our wins. And I'm like, oh man, there's so much truth to that because I've gotten to a point where I don't have anybody celebrating me. <laughs> and it's like, 
dude, we're not here to celebrate guys. We're here to move on to the next thing. Like win more, be better, like earn more. And I wasn't always that way. Like I love getting a pat on the back, just like the next guy, but such a brilliant point, Elliot, because even if we get to a point as entrepreneurs where we break through that and we no longer need the accolades, we have to remember that our team needs that. Yeah. I've even for my wife, like I'll even stop and celebrate her like, Hey, look what you did, you know, and just like this random, right. But like, look at your, look what you just launched. Look at, this is amazing. And I like force her to kind of like take a breath and and be proud of herself. Cause I think it is important. Um, just to remain grateful and to just to, you know, stay steadfast in what you're building and where you're going. I think that's a really important thing. Um, because people can feel when someone's not grateful for where they're at and grateful for what they have and maybe feeling disappointed or wanting more or thinking they should be further ahead. That's a, that's a, that's an energy that's tough to hide. You know, you know, Kara always says, have your values written in stone, but be flexible with your goals. And that's one thing that I've came back to so many times, because this is one of the problems with us as entrepreneurs, because if we just become goal driven, and I'm not saying you shouldn't set goals, but if it's always just about goals and, you know, increasing the revenue by 10% or closing five more deals or whatever it is, um, goals are good. But we'll wake up five years down the road and realize that every year we're just setting bigger goals because we accomplished so much last year and we're, we have to, you know, one up ourselves. And that whole statement of be, have your values written in stone, but be flexible with your goals has kind of recentered me around some of the stuff that we're talking about, because if it's always just goal driven, it's about a new revenue goal and all of that stuff. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't celebrate when we hit a goal. I remember I love Mont Blanc pens. I'm a huge fan of Mont Blanc pens. And I remember when we first started buying a lot of mobile home parks, I set a goal, like I set this goal, like we want to buy X amount of mobile home parks. And I said, listen, every time we close a mobile home park, I'm buying myself a new Mont Blanc pen. That was one way for me, you know, in your case, it could be a new AR-15 or whatever, just (laughs) to stop and celebrate the goal. Because again, as entrepreneurs, we don't do that. I love that. I love setting a goal and rewarding yourself and, I'll buy another AR-15 that doesn't, or an AK that doesn't bother me at all. (laughs) I love it. Well, let's talk about, let's transition a little bit because you have decided that you're going to spend, you know, and again, I don't want to say the rest of your life because I don't know that any of us are going to do anything the rest of our life, but you're going all in on the Airbnb space. And just like we got transparent and real, um, they're just like any other space too. They're single family, multifamily, different markets. And people tend to like lump everything into, you know, real estate market in general or hotels in general or office space in general. And even some of the smartest guys that I know are like office space is not going to do horrible everywhere. There's some markets that are really challenged in the office space place. But one thing that you and I have been talking about, and I want you to talk about this more, the Airbnb market is experiencing some challenges. But one thing I've loved learning from you, and one of the main reasons why I wanted to partner with you is that you've got this idea or a concept in your mind that there's certain markets that are going to perform well. And then within markets, there's also certain types of vacation rentals that are going to perform even better. So let's talk about that. And then I'd love to also hear your thoughts on, you know, why you think Airbnbs are going to outperform the hotel space, or maybe I shouldn't put words in your mouth. Maybe it's not going to outperform it, but the Airbnb has a lot of upside because there's still a lot of growth potential. Yeah, there's challenges too. There's challenges everywhere, but there's opportunity everywhere as well. Um, first, let me take a step back and kind of give a grand overview. There's a lot of drama around Airbnbs on social media and people saying it's collapsing. And and look, there are some some markets that have some policies coming out, um, like laws and regulations that are going to make it very challenging. And actually, like, you can't have Airbnbs there if you're going to do, you know, anything shorter than 30 days or 60 days. Or if you're not a permanent resident, like in San Francisco, if you're not a permanent resident in your house for 207 days, you can't own an Airbnb there. So there's markets, like you said, that it just won't work. And there's markets that will and are doing phenomenal. And so let me just give a, a quick some stats. I love I love numbers. So the revenue per available room declined 0.5% year over year to $167. This is from AirDNA. 
U.S. metrics through for October 2023. The availability listings, the available listings reached 1.5 million, 1.59 million, up 16.8 percent year over year. However, that started declining in March. So the majority of that increase was the first half of the year, and it's been declining every month since. The, the pace of new listings coming out. The total demand rose 15% year over year. So people are still going to Airbnb. They're still doing short-term rentals. The demand is up for people going and wanting 15% year over year from last year, 2022, which was a record year. Occupancy was 1.6% lower year over year at 56.1%, but nights booked increased 11.5% year over year. And the average daily rates grew 1.1% year over year. So those do not feel like a collapsing market. When you, when you take a look at the average across the country, it certainly doesn't feel like a collapsing market to me. Now, just so we have intimate knowledge here in Phoenix, everyone was excited for the Super Bowl this last year. We had thousands and thousands of listings at three beds, two baths, two beds, two baths come into the market, saturate it. It didn't perform like it would. The demand was there. More people stayed there than ever, but a lot of people had to drop their price because there was so much supply. However, you still had, who sang the national anthem? Who was it? Rihanna, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She booked a house for 500K for the month. So there are some houses that did better than ever, right? <laughs> and so I, um, when you take a look at the statistics of Airbnb in general, they have an Airbnb Plus, which is you know more bedrooms, um, a higher level of service. Uh, they, there's different metrics you have to hit to be an Airbnb Plus, but they outperform everything else on Airbnb market by 400% in revenue. So to me, that's very telling that people want a better service, not somebody just going to throw it up there be non-responsive when you're trying to, you know, get in touch with them. They want a great service. They want a great experience, which means elevated facilities, maybe um, maybe even a specialized niche, like themed outhouse, right? Those do well. And, but the, the numbers don't lie. I mean, people are still spending there. Um, and I, and I just personally believe that the luxury space, especially when you have a phenomenal service and new amenities are going to do well in any city, that it, it, even if it's saturated because the luxury space is there's there's just a gap there where there's not enough luxury houses for people wanting that experience. You know, the data, the data that you share, and I think this is what's wrong with most people. They won't take the time and think about because of our bias. Oh, I got information that confirms what I'm thinking. <laughs> and most people won't actually take and read the data and say, OK, well, what does that actually mean? And I'm curious, because I, I thought this a while back when, you know, housing was rising and there was no inventory. I actually thought Airbnb was probably part of the problem um, because so many single family houses were taken out of inventory. And when I hear these stats, I kind of agree with you. If you can read through the lines and see what's actually happening, which you did there, um, I think there's still a huge opportunity in Airbnb, even on the three twos in certain markets. But some of those operators are going to have to go by the wayside. I think that's what I hear you saying, because there was people that got into Airbnb because there's coaches and mentors and everybody's saying, hey, this is easy. And there's Airbnb arbitrage and all the things that are like, hey, you can be an Airbnb operator and you're going to be you know, financially free. And, <laughs> and, and so there's all these people that own two or three houses. Yep. And they just don't know what the hell they're doing. And so the reality is we probably are going to lose some inventory, especially because I think a lot of Airbnb, I know many people that are, you know, selling their houses because they can't make money on Airbnb because they're not a good host or because they don't have the volume. Because even if you want to hire a management company, very few good management companies want to work for somebody that has one house or two houses and isn't willing to invest in fixing holes in the wall and isn't willing to invest in the gift baskets that need to be there and the proper cleaning and the proper sheets. And so I think that there's a huge um, opportunity when some of these smaller operators that got in and didn't understand what they were doing get out of the game. 
we're going to get you, you shared it, you showed it. The demand is still strong. It just yep. so happens that it was flooded with so many houses and people that don't provide a good experience to guests. And one of the reasons why there were so many challenges in the Airbnb space is because so many of those operator owners got into the space and they're not providing a good service. And am, am I in left field there? Or I I agree a hundred percent with what you said. And days are gone where you just put it up on Airbnb in a standard house and you you're gonna make you know an extra thousand, two thousand a month. If you're not looking into booking.com, home to go, trip.com, flip key, like there's all all these different platforms that you have to manage, right? And like there's opportunity beyond that. There's people that you can go and book houses for photo shoots, podcasts, hourly rates. My wife just bought, uh, paid $500 for two hours to go do a podcast session with two people and they were there doing construction. So she had to go and like stammer out and go to someone else's friend, the friend's house and she's paying a top dollar, right? For a good experience. And there's, there's just the operators that aren't there that are truly taking this serious. So, um, if you are, I believe, if you're intentional, if you're, if you have a marketing plan, and you're in the right segment, I think you can win. But you have to be, you have to be an operator, and you have to be on top of your game. I want you to kind of talk about two different things because, again, getting to know you and hearing your vision, and I've I've learned so much. You know, one of the things that you've um, really talked about. Number one, if we're going to, so I'll, I'll compartmentalize this for really two different conversations, but they kind of come together. So talk to me about the luxury market and why you're so bullish on that market specifically. But also one of the things that I thought was really interesting is um, instead of trying to, you know, manage and and do these things on your own, like, you know, I always say in the HVAC industry, it's one truck chuck. Um, you know, we talked early on about finding the best manager in a market and having them help us identify the best houses and let them, you know, do what they do so well. So talk to me about that side of it, because I think that's a linchpin. A lot of these small mom and pop operators are like, I can buy three houses and I can make a shit ton of money by managing my own properties. And I think that's where they fall into this, um, you know, almost trap. And you could do that, but it's a lot better for somebody that has 20 or 30 properties um, whether they're going to manage it themselves and make more money and do it right than it is for a small mom and pop operator to have one property. And then again, why the luxury market? Well, uh, one, our vision was, well, my vision was around masterminds. Um, my wife hosts them. So many people in our community host them. We go to them. We know people who host them. And I feel like there's a really special place in my heart for those. And, you know, we were part of a, a six-figure a month investment that we had with a couple other couples to go on retreats around the country and look, the area was great. The house was so two of the houses were falling apart and it was a total catfish scam. And we, I know, and I know what they paid to, to rent that house. And so, Hey, look, that's telling me there's a gap. There's a gap in the market for people who have a true luxury experience and are taking it seriously. So I wanted to get on the other side of that. To confirm my intuition, we got with the, the best property manager in the Phoenix area, Goodnight Stay. He manages, I think, close to 2,000 properties in the area and has been doing it for 25 years, was managing it on Craigslist before there was Airbnb and doing short-term rentals. The, the story is amazing. He's a super sharp guy. And we just asked him, hey, what's performing the best? What are you know What's working, what's not? And he told us that luxury was outperforming their, everything else by far in good times and bad. And that lines up with my belief that people with money will always have money and, and recessions don't um, affect them. And they still want to travel and have good life experience. And they really don't care. It's, it means nothing to them. If you look during recessions, um, you know, there's no shortage in Lamborghinis. There's Ferraris are sold out for years in advance. A Rolex went on a, like a crazy back order and no one could find Rolexes. And all these luxuries were performing better and better and better even through the recession. So um, that just, you know, that his his belief and his experience with multiple, you know, three bed, two houses up to seven bed mansions here in Scottsdale and Arcadia uh, confirmed that we were on the right track. And he, you know, we ran by the location and, and the amenities and what we were planning to do with this house to uh, to him, the CEO, the operator of Goodnight Stay. And he loved it, said it was a home run. 
And that was just like, hey, we're on. Let's go. You know, and that's what's so important. I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we, you know, think we become the expert and we're scared to ask for help. But how many houses did you send Scott that he's like, nope, um, laws are changing. Nope, that's a bad location. Um, how, like how many? And- uh, probably, probably close to 10. And he was just yeah. like, no, 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 no. He said he wouldn't touch it. He's like, you won't even be able to hold, have Airbnbs next year. And he loved this house too, because it's in Arcadia. It's right on the edge of Phoenix where you're skirting all the Scottsdale regulations, but you're right in, like right by Scottsdale and right by Paradise Valley. And you're right in the middle of everything. And he just, he just loved it. You know, it's interesting as you're talking about this too, just kind of reinforcing the the wealth gap, if you will. I was listening to the guys on the All In podcast and they were talking about, you know, everybody... If you if you listen to social media and you listen to the news, like the economy sucks and and everybody's but they were actually talking about the stats. They were pulling up stats just like you did. And they're showing how the economy is actually doing pretty well, all things considered. Maybe real estate isn't, generally speaking, because of interest rates, but also right. we live in a day and age and a time where real estate isn't as important as it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, real estate was a huge part of the economy. And you think nowadays, like, there's so many people, a lot of people that we know, that are making, you know, millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of dollars in digital marketing. And yeah. YouTube did $30 billion last year, and Facebook did 30. You know, the, the online social media platforms are approaching a $500 billion combined revenue. And so when you go back 10 years ago, a lot of these platforms didn't even exist. And so right. the Fed is ha- actually has an interesting problem because, well, it's not necessarily a problem, but when they, if they would have done what they did with the interest rates 10 years ago, it would have brought our economy to a screeching halt. But jobs are up, spending's up, biggest Black Fridays ever. Like people are still spending money and you're like, yeah. what is going on here? And the reason why I think is because real estate doesn't matter as much as it did at one point in time in our economy. And the thing that the all-in guys said, they said, listen, even though the economy is doing generally well, considering everything we've been through, the average American isn't feeling it in their pocketbook. They're not feeling the wellness. But when you look at the wealth gap increasing, and I'm just reporting the news, I'm not giving you my opinion, I'm just reporting reality. And whether you like it or not, the middle class is being wiped out. And you and I were actually having this conversation the other day. I messaged you on Instagram and I said, I'm tired of, I'm tired of being a millionaire because, you know, a millionaire is restrictive. And you said the millionaire is a new, the new middle class. And yeah. it's true because inflation has devalued the dollar. Even GoBundance, a group that I talk about all the time, they raised their minimum rate, uh, their minimum net worth requirement from 1 million to 2 million. And for champions went from 5 million to 10 million. Why? Damn. Because inflation. So it's not that there's a ton of guys that have become millionaires in the last like five, six years, and they didn't do anything special. It's because houses went up in price, but did they really? No, the purchasing power of the dollar went down. And so when the all in guys were talking about this, I was like, oh, wow, this further reinforces Elliot's hypothesis around this because they're saying that the economy is actually doing generally well. The wealthy are doing even better, but the average American is feeling it in their pocketbook. They're filling it in groceries. They're filling it in gas. They're filling it in, you know, housing. But the reality is the the wealthy, wealthy and wealthier people. And when we say wealthy, I'm not talking about people that are worth 100, 500 million. I'm talking about people that are worth, you know, 5 million, 10 million, 15 million. That's really the avatar for these types of houses. And they want a different experience. And they will pay for that experience. When we go into one of these houses, you know, Kara and I do a couple's mastermind. And by the way, I'm going to just take a minute to, you know, plug the mastermind. We're changing the model. It used to be a one-year commitment. And I think people are like, they no longer want to do the one-year commitment. So for the audience, we're doing like a 120-day sprint. And we'll do a trip. We'll stay in a luxury Airbnb. We have chefs. We have amazing, epic experiences. We have concierge services. Every couple gets their own bedroom. That's one of the things that the couples are always are weird about. They're like, well, do we have to like share bedrooms? No, this isn't that kind of couples mastermind. Um, and but, but it's an over-the-top experience. And it's the type of house that Elliot and I fell in love with. It's a different level of experience. So if you're interested in a couples mastermind for 2024, you don't have to commit to one year. It's shorter, uh, 
again, four month commitments. And the price point is much better because we're not doing two or three houses for an entire year. It's one trip and then a period of time together. You're still going to get the awesome speakers that come in. You're still going to get all of that, but you don't have to commit to one year. If you want to do it the next round, you can, you can sign back up. If you're interested in the couples mastermind, text the word couples to 480-531-7519. We'll get you on the list. We're going to do an epic trip starting in February this year. And again, you don't have to commit to a year. So anyway, back to Elliot, the all-in guys really reinforced, um, you know, your thesis and your hypothesis on this. And the last thing I want to say before I throw it back to you, one of the things that made me fall in love with your model, we have a friend, a mutual friend that has bought three different houses in the same area in Arizona, and he's made a boatload of money staying in a house for like two years max. And every time he sells it for more. I have another friend, Cody, who bought a $2.3 million view lot at the base of Camelback and sold it a year later, and he made money. And so the thing about it is when we're buying these luxury vacation rentals in the right market, um, I'm still in your thunder here, but I've, I've so bolted on to your vision with this. When we're buying these Airbnbs, these luxury mansions, even if we decide we don't love the model in five years, pretty sure we're going to make a mint on selling that property because the wealthy are getting wealthier and they're not building more Camelback Mountains in Scottsdale. Yeah, I mean, that's a spot. Camelback's a spot. And if you're right, I mean, we literally look out and it's a beautiful view Camelback. It's just, that's oceanfront property here. So to your point, in, in five years, I, I just don't see how we can lose. Um, another interesting trend too that I wanna throw out there that we didn't talk about, but I think is actually very relevant is that corporations have bought 40% of single uh, house, single family homes this last year. 40% of all new homes bought are corporations. And that really tells me that they're betting on the housing market as well. And with all their analysis, um, there's just so much, uh, just, I, I hear you say this all the time, but if you bought a house today in five years, you will not be sad and not regret buying that house. And I believe that to be true 100% of the time. Yeah, it's so good. I, I I try to, you know, as we were talking through this early on and and I was getting excited about it, I'm like trying to poke holes in, in the model. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, when you talk about the corporations buying up housing, Ken McElroy's, you know, great mentor and friend of mine, he's been saying for 10 years that we're becoming a renter nation. Um, the World Economic Forum put out an article in 2020 during COVID, and it said by the year 2030, and it was kind of this dystopian article, by the year 2030, you'll own nothing and you'll love it. And that's true for most Americans, I think. I think most people yeah. are moving toward, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be an owner. But the thing that I said, the minute I read that article, I'm like, somebody owns that because the government does not want to be in housing. And I'm like, somebody's going to own that. And the the stat that you put out of 40% of single family homes being bought in the last year were bought, bought by private equity groups, that just goes to reinforce the truth behind this. Somebody's going to own that. And just because you know the average American doesn't want to or can't own the home doesn't mean that they're not going to be paying rent. So in the long run, somebody's going to own all of that. And I want to be on the right side of the equation. Me too, brother. And I want to offer people a way to get on that right side of the equation too. If they can't do it on their own or don't have the bandwidth to do it on their own. Um, that's really part of the vision too, is teaming up with people that where everyone makes money, everyone's gets the same tax advantages of owning the home. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think uh, just providing a great um, space for people to host masterminds, retreats, and then fill it in with casual Airbnb travels. You know, that's, a, that's another thing that I just, I, I can't say enough about, being in this position is I, I get to control my own destiny with the hustle, with the marketing around the retreat space. Um, people are already reaching out to, they want to host retreats at this Camelback property. There's going to be a sauna, a gym, a cold plunge. You know, it's going to be an epic place for, for um, intentional space. And I think there's no shortage of, of people wanting to host masterminds. And when the, when the economy actually hits a recession, more people need to make money. So more people go into starting their own businesses, which actually boosts the mastermind community because people want to host masterminds and teach people, hey, this is how you become a business owner. This is how you market. This is how you price. So all these different aspects are are lining up. 
um, through a, a recession or if the economy bounces back and they lower interest rates. Great. That's a great scenario, too, for us. Now we're just going to crush on the house. And that, that, you know, as more people start selling their homes and buying homes, pricing is going to go up and we will we'll benefit from that, too. You know, and what's so great about this space, I mean, what family that can afford it, obviously, doesn't want to go stay in an epic, you know, Airbnb um, have. It's interesting because your wife, actually, Karen and I, our first couples mastermind, we reached out to Lindsay and we said, hey, can you give us a referral to a house you've rented? And she turned us on to a really nice place that we had our first couples mastermind at. And then after we used this place in, in Scottsdale, um, a friend of mine reached out and said, hey, I saw some of your pictures. We're bringing in our family from all over the Philippines, the US, and we're going to have a family reunion. And we want to rent a big house. What was that house that you stayed in? And I sent them the link. And their family had an epic freaking family reunion at a place where, like you said this before, but, and maybe talk about the hotel differentiator a little bit. They didn't want to rent a hotel because their family was coming from all over the world. And some of them, they hadn't been together for like 10 years. Oh, and most of them hadn't seen each other since pre-COVID. And they didn't want to go to a hotel for the same reasons you were talking about. Touch on that a little bit. Yeah, you're just isolated. I mean, you go back to your room, you're, you're there by yourself, and you, if there's no community there. And when you're building community and you want to be with the people you haven't seen in years, you want to be with them freaking all the time. When me and my brother go and we, we, you know, we get together once or twice a year, he's my best friend, my best man at my wedding. Like, I don't want him to be in another hotel room and we see each other, you know, for four hours a day or six hours a day. And then we go back to our separate rooms. Like, I want to go watch a movie with him. I want to cook with him, order pizza, grab wings, throw down some beers, play poker, spread out, you know, be a slob, clean up. That's part of the fun, you know? And it's, um, I, I feel like, Hotels will always have their place, and I'm not bashing hotels. They do awesome. They serve their place. People love them, but um, it's funny to me that when I go online and I, and I see someone like roasting Airbnb is like, oh, let's get it, let's stick it to the man, right? Well, a lot of these people who own Airbnbs are just families who have a second home, and you know, it's a small business for them. And you're so now you want to stick it to the man by going to a multi-billion-dollar corporation and staying there instead of supporting a small business. Like I, I think there's a there's a perception issue of actually what's what Airbnb is and who it actually facilitates, um, and who it's helping. So I, you know, for me, when someone stays at my house, they're supporting me. They're supporting us. Uh, you know, we leave, we have a guest book. They write notes. We read those notes. We've cried. You know, with like some of the experiences people have had in those books. And um, there's just nothing like it. There's that's just it's a human to human connection that is um, that is so desperately needed in today's world. You know, uh, Matt King, who's the CEO of GoBundance, was talking a while back, and they he runs a huge portfolio for a very wealthy um, guy. Uh, he's basically runs their family office, and and they do have Airbnbs in their portfolio. But he was talking about how, you know, the Airbnb market does have some challenges, but the homes that have you know a distinct advantage, and he was just talking about again three bedroom, two bath type things. But you know, they got to have a pool. They have to have some kind of draw to them. But I started thinking about this a little bit. And when we talk about the luxury space, and some of the audience might not even have had the exposure, they might be thinking like, well, yeah, but how many people are actually really going to rent, you know, a three or four or $5,000 a night, um, you know, Airbnb? And there's a lot. I, I mentioned the family that wanted the family reunion. Think about the family coming in from all over the world, the Philippines. Imagine trying to get a dinner reservation for, you know, four <laughs> days straight. Oh, for 22 man. people. Like that's so, it's a challenging. And then you're on yeah. like the opposite side and there's no intimacy. Yeah. And so many people probably don't realize this, but you can bring a chef in, whether it's a couple's mastermind like Karen and I host, or it's a, um, you know, a family reunion, or here's another thing. I'm in a group called the Wellspring and I'm in a pod and eight of us that are in the pod, we rented a luxury vacation rental in Phoenix just two months ago. And we had chefs come in and we did masterminding in the living room. There's so many groups like that that need it. And I think a lot of people that are listening to this probably are like, yeah, but what's the demand for that? Really? It's a lot. And there's corporate companies all over. People don't know this, but when, you know, let's just say like a Joe Rogan, if Joe Rogan wants to go, you know, take his team to do a three-day planning session somewhere, they don't want to go to a hotel because Joe Rogan's going to get bombarded. What do they do? 
They buy a high-end luxury vacation rental that they can drive into their garage, shut the garage doors, and nobody knows that Joe Rogan's there. Or the executive team from GE, they've been doing this for years, you know, going and renting big luxury rentals. And they have a staff there that cleans the rooms and they bring them breakfast and they bring them lunch, they bring them dinner, and they get to do whatever they want while they're there. This is a huge market. And I think a lot of people don't understand it. To your point, there's a real estate firm I met in Houston over the Super Bowl weekend when I was sitting right next to Isaiah Thomas and Chris Berman from the NFL, right? Everyone's in town. I'm sitting there. I meet these um, real estate agents. We start talking. I'm like, I'm telling them what we're doing, what we're building. And they're like, give me your info. We book every um, professional basketball player, football player. We have a huge portfolio. When they go travel, we book Airbnbs for their family and friends. Something I never even thought of, right? There's a whole market just falling around teams with their family and friends that want to stay in a super nice place. And the Phoenix Suns play here, I don't know, like 60 times a year. So it's like the there's so much opportunity and there's so much money out there. And, and the only limiting opportunities are our own limiting beliefs. And so, you know, that's as we're as we're diving and getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this, it's just so fun to uncover all these unique opportunities that we'll get to cash flow in these properties. And can I touch on one more thing? If you right now, so the challenge of getting into Airbnb space right now is it's super hard to be competitive with an eight, nine, 10% interest rate on a house, a a three bedroom, two bath, that's probably close to a million dollars in Scottsdale, right? That's maybe not even fully renovated. Maybe, you know, it's like it's been renovated like five, six years ago, and you're still going to pay close to a million at 8%. And that's a saturated market. So maybe you're getting 300 bucks a night. Maybe you're getting 400 bucks a night. Maybe you're getting 150 in the summer. So for new people that want to get in, the margins aren't there. And you have to know your market, right? I'm doing cash flow analysis all the time here in, in Scottsdale. Luckily, we bought a little bit a little while ago where, you know, our interest rates lower and, you know, we have a renovated house and, you know, we bought while the prices were a little bit lower. So, but I'm looking at doing the analysis now. I'm like, it doesn't work. The numbers don't work for the number for renovating the house and putting and furnishing it. And the down, you know, your cash on cash return isn't there where, where if if someone's willing to spend two, three, four thousand dollars a night, it does work and it works well, but people don't generally have the income to do a three, $4 million renovation, $150,000 in landscaping, another $100,000 in furnishing the house. Like it takes capital and it takes a vision to be able to get the margins in today's market. And that's why I'm still so excited about the offering is even at eight, nine, 10% interest rates, this model still works because of the margin. And people just, individual investors just don't have, don't have the access to that. So this is the way, this is why I'm so excited is like we're bringing legacy wealth opportunities to the average accredited investor, which you just don't see out there. Yeah. And we'll talk about how they can, you know, team up with us here in a second. But, you know, that that trip that I took with the pod guys from the Wellspring, it was interesting because we rented a huge house and it was $3,000 a night. And to your point, I mean, it had a disco ball in it. The beds were outdated. The ping pong table was broken. It was like this Venetian finish from the 1980s. It had not been updated. And that's the type of inventory out there too. Um, And this house that you're building is freaking amazing, like next level. And so there's an opportunity in the luxury space in general, but also like if you do it right, which again takes capital, but if you do it right from the beginning, it's not like even if we decided to sell it five years from now, those people that are you know, going to try to sell that house that we stayed in, that's going to be a tough sell because somebody's yeah. looking at that and they're like, dude, you got to put a million dollars into this house to bring it up to you know, new finishes. But doing it the way that you're doing it, the luxury market in the right markets, we're being very strategic about where we're buying. And then ultimately the right finishes and investing that capital up front is so important. One last thing I want to say, then we can talk about how accredited investors can partner with us or whatever else you want to talk about. When Karen and I launched the Couples Mastermind, and I said this already, we ended up you know, using an uh, Airbnb that your wife, Lindsay, turned us on to. But I remember we were so excited because we love the Omni um, Resort in Scottsdale. And we started planning out this epic like first you know, Couples Mastermind rooms, and when we went to the Omni, and granted, this was uh, January, well, this was at the end of 2020. So we were planning the trip for 2021. 
And they're like, here's your room and you have to be six feet apart and you have to wear masks. And I know this is an extreme example, but I'll continue what's not an extreme example. I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, six couples that are there to get more intimate, be together, and we're spacing them six feet apart. And they can't even, I ask them, I'm like, what if they're husband and wife? Can they like sit next to each other? Nope. And I'm just like, this is going to suck. And then I'm like, what about dinner? Well, you have to spend a minimum of like $10,000 and you have to rent a conference room. Like who wants to be freaking stuck in a conference room at a couple's mastermind? Nobody. Nobody wants any of that. And then, like I said, okay, well, what about dinner? Well, on this night, you can do 830 because there's going to be 14 of you. And I'm just like, dude, this sucks. And so again, I'm not here to bash on hotels, but that was like the moment where I was like, Karen and I, will, we will never, we will never do a couple's mastermind at a hotel ever for those reasons. So do you have anything to say about that? No, I think you nailed it. I mean, the, just the, um, just for people hosting masterminds, so it's geared a little bit for if you're hosting masterminds, the cost associated with a hotel is going to be three, four times what you're going to pay at a, at a luxury Airbnb. And when you're bringing in your private chefs and you have limos picking people up or whatever experience you want to provide, like they will get a world-class um, experience at a, a fraction of the cost. And uh, to me, that's so exciting. And um, another thing, if you're hosting masterminds, why this is appealing too, is we have every vendor that we've ever experienced use. We know them, we trust them, they deliver, they're not late. They provide, you know, white glove service on food, team building, sound baths, working out, anything, anything you can even imagine. We've used them or a friend has used them. And so here's, hey, here, oh, you're holding, holding a mastermind? Here's a list of 50 vendors you can use. Now, like how easy does that make it on somebody, which is so cool and such a value add and such a value add for the people in a mastermind that they get this world-class experience um, and they get to leave elevated, expanded, and on fire. And so I, I love the trickle-down effect of providing a space at a fraction of the cost where you know the person hosting a mastermind is making more money, providing more value, and it trickles down all the way to the people who are investing themselves to be in that mastermind. They get more out of it too. So that, that gets me fired up. You know, on that, I was thinking as you're saying that too, um, we did a couple's mastermind together in Miami and, um, we always do this thing where the couple that gets there first gets to pick the master bedroom. Right. And so Karen, and I got the master bedroom and this is looking over the, you know, Biscayne Bay epic house. And the management company said, oh yeah, Justin Bieber was here last week. And I was just sitting there thinking, this is going to sound stupid to the audience, but I was like, bro, I'm laying on the pillow that Justin Bieber was on last week. Like, I'm going to, yeah, I was just like, I'm going to be a, anyway. Um, the other thing that you said too, we, if you're hosting a mastermind, and it was through experience that I realized this, but if we're at a hotel and we all go sit down at dinner and we're ordering and the waitress is coming over and people are getting their food wrong and whatever, it's really hard to have an intimate like experience. But when we're in an Airbnb and we all go get to sit down at the table 30 minutes before dinner and you get to host like a round robin of connection. And, yeah. you know, usually there's a guest at dinner. We bring in a high profile speaker and, and you get to like share a little bit and they get to like do masterminding with you. And then all of a sudden the chef comes over and he's like, okay, the first course and he's explaining it. And so everybody gets served and then, you know, you get to mastermind some more and then the chef comes over. Okay. The second dude, the experience, like, tell me you could ever have an experience like that at a hotel. It's just not possible. No. And the inspiration behind what they're, you know, where they get the ingredients from and like how they came up with this, where they were when they came up with the dish, like it was world class. And then you're done. You go have a cigar outside and you're relaxing around a fire. And man, it's just, it's, uh, those experiences change your life and they form bonds that like, dude, me and you are incredible friends from being on that. We've, we saw sides of each other and saw how you are interacting with people and got to know the real you and the real me and, and, um, and the other couples too. I mean, Matt and, you know, Robin and just so many people that you just really get to know that wow, these are amazing people and you get to see a glimpse into their life and how they love each other and how they respect each other and talk to each other and be elevated around high level people. It's just, um, it's just magical. It's magical when you get an experience like that and it's facilitated correctly and, um, that's what we're, that's what I'm super excited about. Yeah. I was thinking back to, 
we're just giving people all these ideas around how to build a mastermind, which is awesome because the world needs more of it. Um, again, we're in a world of negativity and people are just looking for purpose and connection and relationships. And, you know, the number one thing that I hear in the couples mastermind world, as Karen and I are talking to couples is like, there's just not enough things for them to connect at a high level. And I was thinking back to Miami too. Remember sitting out on the deck again, looking over, you know, Biscayne Bay and, and we're doing acro yoga. So we brought in acro <laughs> yoga instructors and, yeah. and like that whole experience, just like learning to trust your spouse. And, you know, Lindsay's like holding you up in the air and I weigh 260 and pounds. Yeah. And Lindsay's <laughs> like, you know, a half pint compared to you and just like the trust exercises and that whole acro yoga experience and being over the bay and watching yachts go by. And if you're a mastermind um, facilitator, like you can't, you can't get that at a hotel. Like you can't get that experience. And even if you paid more, you said earlier that a hotel probably is going to be more at the end and it's probably going to be less of an experience. But even if you did pay more, your couples are going to be so much more or whatever mastermind you're running. They're going to be so much more impacted at the end of that experience in an Airbnb and the luxury experience around that than they ever would at the Omni. I'm so glad that the Omni told us that our couples had to stay six feet apart because I might not have ever, you know, had experience into this world, but it's epic. So, um, okay. We are partnering. I'm going to let you share this, but we are partnering with accredited investors um, in this fund, which is part of the thing that I teamed up with you at. You're you're the lead on this, but um, if people are interested, like, you know, what are some of the opportunities around it? Yeah, well, to invest, be a part of the, be a part of what we're building, and to, to have access to use a space, um, you know, you get the same tax advantages of, you know, pretty close to the same tax advantages if you're if you're buying a house yourself. We we just got a great cost segregation done that we can give you, and and um, you know, you can and be a part of the equity in the house. So you know, we're so excited about the exit in five ten years when it, when it happens, and. You're being part. You're a part of that. You get a piece of the equity, so you get a piece of the cash flow. There's so many ways to win. You get a piece of the cash flow that we create. You get a piece of the equity when we exit or refinance, and can pay you out. Um, you can hold masterminds there at, at a retreat that you're invested in. So if you're invested, if you're holding a mastermind, you're spending 30k at a house. You know you're, that money's just yeah, it's a tax write off, right? But that money's gone. It's not like you hold stock in it. Right. So if you're if you're holding masterminds, might as well get some ROI on the backside of it, too, which is so exciting. Um, and the same thing if you host at a hotel, it's like unless you have stock in, in Marriott or something, that money's gone. You know, it's just goodbye. Goodbye money. So uh, you can host it. You can you can promote it. You can have people, you know, there's a we're going to do a program where a referral program where you can get some nights free if you refer people that stay there. So for investors, and there's just um, there's just so much way. There's so many ways to win. So uh, yeah, you can reach out to to Mike or myself. Mike will probably just forward you over to me. But my email is Elliot at vacationequitygroup.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram Elliot R Schwartz, or you, I'll give my cell phone number 480-205-7300. I don't care. Call me, text me. I'm available. I'd love to share the vision. Love to learn what your goals are and see how, if we can partner. So that's a, that's the opportunity. And I couldn't be more excited to be partnered with you, Mike, and have Kara on board and Lindsay and um, Steve and Wendy. And we just have, you know, couples here that we're, that we're surrounded by that are high level people that, that are going to win. You know, that's what's really cool about this opportunity too, because we're not we're not talking about, you know, Elliot isn't going out buying 200 Airbnbs. These are like, we're going to get very strategic on the markets that we're in. We're looking at five markets right now. And Elliot is like front and center on this. I mean, the guy gave you his cell phone, like that's kind of crazy, but we're, again, we're not (laughs) talking about, this is an opportunity for a small group of investors to get involved in and have the upside and something that's going to be, you know, fun and amazing. And imagine being able to do I don't want to put pressure on you, but imagine being able to do an investor dinner mm. at one of our houses in like Scottsdale or Austin or Park City, you know, once a year where all the investors get to come together and experience this experience that we're talking about. That alone is going to be epic um, if we do it, which I think we're going to. I think we are. I think we're actually going to do host a investor uh, meeting here at a different Airbnb while this one's being renovated. 
um, to get a, a touch and feel of, of the experience of a similar house. Um, and it'll be fun. We'll get, you know, we can get a chef in and, and host something. So I will, um, more to, more to come on that, but reach out if you're interested in coming to something like that and I'll put you on the waiting list and I'll let you know when we execute on, um, on that meeting. Cause I think, um, getting people in front of, uh, in front of each other and networking and, um, kind of sharing the vision with live would be so fun to do. Yeah. This is going to be epic, man. If you want to participate, um, reach out to Elliot one more time. Where can they find you? Elliot at vacationequitygroup.com, Gmail or Instagram at uh, Elliot R. Schwartz, and my cell phone, 480-205-7300. There you have it. Get involved with us, accredited investors only. There's not a ton of room. This is going to be so fun. That's going to be awesome, man. Uh, dude, thank you for having me on. I, I feel like I was floating talking about this. I get so excited. This has been fun. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. Cheers, man. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.